Welcome to the Operate Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the Operate Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by Peak Planning and my friend Jeff Martin over at Collective Genius, who runs it. They build high-performing teams, unstoppable teams for venture-backed growth companies and venture firms as well. They offer a facilitated leadership team session and the tools around that to help create focus, alignment, and accountability. And Jeff and team are great at getting a team on board with a three-year vision, a one-year plan, quarterly OKRs, and all the tools they need to stay on track. I have several friends who've used peak planning very successfully. So message me if you want to learn more or you want to talk to Jeff about peak. I'm super excited to have Marvin Liao with me on the show today. And before we get to hear from Marvin, let me tell you a little bit about him. He's currently a partner at Game Groove Capital, which is a hybrid holding company, family office, and fund focused on building and investing in IP startups and services around the gaming industry. He was a partner at 500 Startups before that for many years, where he worked with hundreds of startups in the early stages, including many household names. I'll let him share a few of his favorites. He ran their San Francisco Accelerator during much of that time as well. And then prior to that, he had a bunch of global experience in media and technology companies, places like Yahoo, as well as several companies that helped American companies reach audiences in Southeast Asia or navigate uh, critical growth companies like Baidu in their early years. I've greatly enjoyed Marvin's musings and writing over the last year. And I'm a regular reader and subscriber to his Substack called The Hard Fork. And it's one of my absolute favorites. He brings this abundance mentality to everything. And he really has a keen eye for new ideas and emerging entrepreneurs in many regions of the world, including where he's joining me from today. Marvin, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Great to be here. So Marvin, I gave a brief intro on your background. Would love to hear from you for the audience's sake. What, what's occupying most of your time these days? Yeah, great. Um, so, you know, I, as you know, I've spent a lot of time in, in the tech industry in the SF area and, and globally. And so, you know, taking sort of a lot of my old startup experience, uh, big tech corporation experience, and most recently sort of VC experience, um, you know, I recently joined the board of a, of a fairly successful gaming uh, holding company here in, in Ukraine that, that, you know, they're, they're, it's headquarters is here, but their business is actually all over the world. Um, and they have offices, they have a small office in LA and a, a fairly decent sized office as well too in Frankfurt outside Kiev. So I joined their board and acting as sort of like helping them with like their corp dev and mm -hmm. corporate strategy, international expansion and marketing and whatnot. So that keeps me busy for a couple of days a week. Um, I sit on several um, advisory board and investment committees of, of various VC funds. So one, for example, in New York, one in SF, and one in Pakistan, and one in Saudi Arabia. And just otherwise, just taking care of my old portfolio companies um, that, you know, I invested in these, like, a lot of companies at 500. And so I still have relationship with the founders. I still talk to a lot of them, um, speaking at a lot of conferences and mentoring and writing and just honestly, just kind of like just goofing around. Amazing. Well, let's let's zoom in a little bit on gaming. So, yeah. since that's uh, at least 
sort of the, the primary headline right now. What, what are you most excited about in the gaming industry over the next few years? Um, I mean, what has been interesting about the gaming industry, and I'm relatively new to it, right? As a gamer, when I was, as a kid, I kind of just put it aside, jumping mm -hmm. in my career. And I started looking at when I was, uh, when I was at 500, I started looking at the space again, because it's one of those things where it's like, as an investor, you should be looking at stuff that everybody hates, but there's sort of like <laughs> massive, massive sort of like what I call like tailwinds, right? So if you mm -hmm. actually, and, and as I dug in a little bit more, where it's like, there was this huge imbalance. There's like lots of interesting gaming companies of space is just growing like crazy, but there's like no investors. Like, why is that? Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, it was very interesting to me. And as I dug in and I got to know sort of like started meeting a lot of gaming folks. And these are some of the folks here, the, the game group guys got to know them the last two, three years. As I learned more about the dynamics, I'm like, huh, why isn't there more investors actually act, mm -hmm. you know, in this space? And, and the dynamics of this space where is one of the very few markets, you know, the gaming industry is actually bigger than like the music and oh, like radio media, like just substantially larger. And then you're, you're based down in Southern California. So that's very clear to you, but it's, I think it's, it's a surprise to a lot of people not in Southern California sure. or in the video game space. Yeah, I, I, I was amazed. So I moved to LA almost 20 years ago and I went to E3, which was oh. in downtown LA the first year that I was there. And I didn't, I mean, like you, I, I played a lot of games as a kid and then uh, sort of put it aside and I was blown away at how big it was then. And over the last 20 years, it's just exploded. The dynamics are, they are interesting though. I mean, I think a lot of people would equate like investing in a gaming studio is similar to sort of trying movies. to make a, make a bet on movies. Yeah. And it's tough, right? So as you think about the spots where is it from your perspective, is it infrastructure and tech? Is it distribution? What areas do you feel like, hey, this is still a lot of opportunity that's getting figured out? So, for example, like I, I think it really depends on sort of the, the, the space. So when you, you segment out sort of like the gaming space, there, there's different subsegments. And so, for mm -hmm. example, there's arcade gaming mm -hmm. area, there's the console, right? So that's where like Sony and, yep. um, you know, Microsoft and um, Nintendo are very, very dominant in. And then you kind of have like the, the PC one, Microsoft's very strong in the PC side, and there's a bunch of other players there. But then you have the mobile gaming area, which is huge. Mm -hmm. But even within mobile gaming, there's like the hardcore versus sort of like midcore versus what we call like casual and hyper casual. So like um, Candy Crush is one mm -hmm. of the hyper casual games as an example, right? Yes. Um, and I would say in the mobile gaming, particularly like the midcore to sort of casual, hyper casual, there's a lot more similarities there to like software, right? Mm -hmm. Like iterate very quickly you get the feedback uh distribution is, is actually incredibly important so user acquisition distribution and so there's actually a lot more similarity and i i find myself leaning more towards sort of like that area because there's just a lot more similarities versus if you're doing console gaming or pc gaming it's actually much more similar to movies right like there's just like the the universe yeah. that they build out is just very very different and so and, and what also the other thing that's interesting with gaming that I find fascinating, just like generally speaking, people who are in it, like super passionate about games, which is great. And then the second thing that's, that's interesting about it is that unlike traditional software, which is like winners sort of like win at sort of expensive, sort of like the, the old guard, like every area I mentioned, arcade, PC, console, hasn't shrunk. It's actually mm -hmm. continued Everything's to grow. Shrunk. Yeah. And that's interesting, right? Which is not the case in most traditional technology, which is new technology cannibalizes the old. 
or, or new platforms cannibalize old platforms. That's actually not really what happens here. Yeah, that, I think that part's really fascinating, especially as you start to think about the scenarios like a Roblox and others where you, yes. you essentially are creating new economies through these games and other people can participate. And you know, that, that's where this kind of convergence with the creator passion economy and a lot of those enabling tools really starts to, to become interesting. I mean, this is, this is pretty much a well-known trope now in Silicon Valley, but the reality is that the onboarding for the next generation of just like the next social media networks are, is, is coming from gaming, right? If you believe that we're going to be entering the world of the metaverse, right? Like it's gaming, it's the onboarding. It's not going to be social media like Facebook and other ones. Like it's, it's, a, it's a whole new, like if you look at just the, the usage, right? Just from media usage, it's gaming. It's already big enough already. That's going to be the onboarding for a lot of, you know, for the, for the next generation. I agree with you. Well, Martin, it's a good segue. I mean, you and I both have lived a lot of different career lives. We've been lucky. We've been and lucky. I've been very lucky. I, I consider it a, a tremendous blessing. Uh, yeah, we were talking earlier about the book Range, which I feel like is a, is a good way of, of validating. As I tell people, I'm a, you know, a mile wide and inch deep is, is kind of the classic way to describe me. How do, you, how do you think about the, all the, your accumulated experiences in a world that's constantly changing? I think it's been helpful. Like when I look back, right, like for this role now, right, I, you know, I did a lot of international expansion. That's been helpful. My network and my, even how I think about the process of doing that, you know, that's been incredibly helpful for, for Game Groove. Uh, the venture investing stuff, both as we're spinning off sort of like studios or fundraising for studios within the group, that's been helpful and vice versa when I'm looking at deals as well too, to sort of like fulfill the portfolio. Mm -hmm. So all these aspects were a lot of like what I tell folks is like, you know, if you look at my resume in the twenties, a complete disaster, I didn't know what I was going to end up. And this idea of having like long-term, like what's your plan five years from like, I have no idea what I'll be doing five years from now. Um, but uh, you know, everything I'm doing is like, I'm meeting new people, really cool folks like yourself, like accumulating new skill sets and learning new things all the time. Like actually what's more important is actually just your ability to learn, right? And, and unlearn things and knowing like, okay, what's relevant from the things I picked up in my last 20 years? Like, is it relevant for this or not? Because like, yes, I have a lot of experience in digital media and a lot of experience in SaaS and, but gaming is completely different. So knowing what is relevant for this and what is not relevant, right? Because it's just different dynamics and different industry and different situations. So just like learning and unlearning, I think has been sort of like, at least what I've, I've drawn from the last 20, 21 years. But at the end of the day, business is business. So 80, 90% of the things that you learn are still relevant for mm -hmm. whatever industry that you go in. You just have to understand what the 10 to 20% difference is, right? That's right. And, yeah, and those are, that's right. Those are the nuances, but those also, in many cases, I've found are the opportunities. If you can draw an insight from some very different place than other people because of your mix of unique experiences, I've found for me, that's often the value that I can bring is right. this, this is something that worked over here that may be something to consider in this context as well. And that, that's where the broad uh, experiences has served me pretty well at least. Yeah, and 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 so that that's been that's been the most fun, right? Like I think you and I are very very similar, where it's like we both enjoy puzzles and challenges, yes. right? And that's and right. you know impact the impact piece, but like impact through fixing things, right? That's or right. impact from helping people sort of think through things. And so I'm a big collector of frameworks, and 
and every you know as i learn more things the frameworks change or you you fill in the frameworks that you have already with more data and so that, that's that's the way i kind of think about it right like you kind of have an algorithm already but the algorithm sort of like useless without sort of like data right. and so that's kind of you know that's part of the reason i, I try to do these different things and people are like why are you working with a vc fund out of like the mina region or why are you working with the vc fund out of like pakistan i'm like that's like the next like Pakistan is a huge country. The MENA region is huge. And mm -hmm. these are awesome people, like even optimizing for working with like great people. Um, like if you do that, you can't go wrong. Yeah, it's, that's such good, such good insight and advice. And uh, I love the word puzzle. I mean, that, that's how I think of every startup that we see is a unique puzzle that there, there could be some pieces that we can pull off the shelf from other things, but it's it is each is its own unique masterpiece that you're trying to put together. I, I, I legitimately think that every startup is a, is a snowflake, right? Mm -hmm. Like That's right. very different industry, or even if you're in the same industry, like different, the team dynamics are different, the stage and what, you know, the customer segment, like just like everything is different. And so this idea just like, like what I worry about as a mentor sometimes, like, oh, you should just go do this. I don't think there's like universal sort of like truth. Absolutely. Like, it's like, it's just like everything is very custom. And so I hear this all the time. It's like, you should do a class on like what startups should do. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, but like, is that going to be really helpful or not? Um, and exactly. I, I question that of just like, I think every situation I've, I've invested in over 414 startups, every situation is completely different. The advice mm -hmm. I give them is completely different. Yeah, that, that's an amazing pattern set that you have to, to, if anybody could draw a conclusion and say, here are the five things that matter. It's somebody who's seen that many. And yet I totally agree with you. So if yeah, you think about, yeah. yeah, if you think about things that have shaped you, like, you, you know, you've had a bunch of these roles, are there any that you point back to and you go, that period of time or that role was so formative for me, um, you know, the, the amount of learning or something unique that you experienced? Yeah, um, you know, when I joined Alibris, the first start was amazing to me because I'd never really done, I came from, you know, I, I bounced around for different corporate jobs before I did that. And that was eye-opening, worked with super smart people. Um, you know, my first, you know, I would say my 10 and a half years at Yahoo was amazing. Like I, mm -hmm. I sold really good friends with a lot of the folks. You know, I just been very lucky in my career. 500 stars was amazing. The first, like 2014 for me, 2014 to 2017, like the, the group of people I worked with in those years, like just in the companies I invested in during those years were just like, you know, like it was, it was really amazing. Like I, I enjoyed my most of my, you know, like pretty much most of my stay at almost all my companies. I, I felt like I got really got a lot of value and learned a lot at every single stage. Some was, you know, like some you enjoy, right? Like there's some things where you like learn towards like, wow, like I learned so much and this is super fun. And there's other parts where like, wow, I learned a lot. This was less fun, but you still learned a lot. Yep. Um, and so I, I definitely think like, you know, at Yahoo, I would say, eight out of the 10 years, 10 and a half years that were like amazing, right? Just like was like really, really enjoyable. Two and a half was brutal. You know, the two and you know, almost two years at Alibra. So I would say one and a half years was amazing. Like the half last half was like really brutal because I was doing the dot-com bubble when it burst and that was going down the other way. I learned a ton though. And, um, sure. you know, for me at 500, like, you know, 2014 through to like 2017, end of 2017 was I would say middle of 2017 was good. And then like the last, like, I'm going to say two and a half years was kind of brutal, but I also learned a lot too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Well, you've started, I, I mentioned this, you know, you're, I really enjoy your, your writings and your, your sub stack and appreciate you putting 
everything out there like you do. What what led you to start codifying all that? Um, you know, like it was a lockdown last year, right? So mm-hmm. it was one of those things where oh, I'm not doing anything. I've been wanting to write for a long time. Um, I, I've been a big fan of this guy named David Perel, who's I think is one of the best youngest writers sure. and thinkers out there now. And um, he had this class, this cohort-based writing class, online writing class called Rite of Passage, W-R-I-T-E, Rite of Passage. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, why not? And, and that actually got me through like the dark times of last year mm-hmm. um, when we were pretty much all locked indoors, right? Like for, sure. at, that, at, you know, at that point in time, my family and I had been locked inside like March, April, May, June. So we started that class, I think end of June. Oh, those lifesavers, just having something to look forward mm-hmm. to like three, four times a week. And that changed my thinking. like, wow, like, you know, I've learned all this stuff and it's kind of nice to sort of like, you know, I think writing, the process of writing is actually really, really powerful for you to codify. Codify is not one word, but just like to, to fine tune your thinking. Yeah. And so like you think about these things and you go, you write it down. And you're like, man, that makes like no sense at all. Right. Or in some cases you write it down and you're like, wow, like it's just much clearer in your head. Mm-hmm. And, and then on top of that, like, you know, both you and I are sort of fairly impact oriented, like you want to help people. So like a lot of this stuff is just like, whether it's career things or observations about life, career, business, um, or just like really even the mentoring and investing piece, like a lot of that stuff just really helped me fine tune my thinking. But I, I, I hope with this, with this, um, you know, with the hard fork that's on Substack, like I, my hope with that is it's like, it's helpful for people or at least a minimum, minimally find it interesting. Yeah, I would say it's been wildly interesting for me. So you got a huge fan here. Thank you. And you're my one follower, oh, my one person in the newsletter. I, I know you have more than that. What What would you say? Like, what's been the most uh, meaningful feedback that you've gotten? Is there, you know, an email or a, you know, yeah, a I, or, I, yeah. I feel like every week I get an email where it's like, oh, that was so interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's like, oh. Um, I didn't know this, this thing happened to you. And that happened to me too. I was like, Oh, you know, you must get that with like the, you know, you know, with like the, the podcast or like somebody's like, wow, like this thing, like really helped me or like really helped me think about this in a different way. Um, so yeah, that, that has been really gratifying. And sure. um, I just gave myself this, this goal, which is like, okay, you know what, I'm going to publish something like three times a week. I do this for two years. I'm not here to make any money. I'm just, I, I'm here to just personally for me therapy is therapy right yes. to go and do this myself and and help me fine-tune my thinking and if people get value out of it fantastic right and so yep. it's kind of try to find the win-win yeah i totally totally agree well let's let's pivot a little you uh you, you know you've been a vc for for a while you know obviously you shared how many companies you've you've uh, invested in as well which is just remarkable there's just been this huge influx over the last I'd say definitely six months, maybe a year of. I think year and a half. I think yeah. I, I would say I would say probably year for sure. Since yeah, we're in April, right? So yeah, about a year now. Like it's yeah. been it's been insane. It's I haven't seen this deal velocity or the amount of money and deal flow and velocity and like it's crazy. I, I have most of my friends are so VCs, right? Like so yes. active VCs, and and for me, like I'm like yeah, I'm so glad I'm not in it anymore right like there's part of me it's like oh, i want to be at the center of stuff there's a part of me which is how frenzied it got it's gotten now mm-hmm. i don't know it reminds me a lot in the bad ways of like 2000 yes yeah and that that's i think the, the you know in one hand so i mean you spent a good solid 10 years prior in operating roles right you're building stuff you're selling stuff you're managing 
what what's your thought on you know people there, there's just been this huge number of people becoming investors that are still in high school still in college that you know really don't have the experience what, what's your view on like what best prepares somebody to become an I, investor you know I, I think i wrote about this too i don't think there's one archetype like overall sure. i think it's a good thing having like the amount of money coming to startup ecosystem the amount of yes. startups the amount of yes. vcs kind of angel like over on the long run that's a good thing in the short run i don't think it's a good thing mm -hmm. um, partly because you just have a whole bunch of amateurs particularly investor side so I, I can tell you sort of people like well how did you make this transition i'm like i didn't i wasn't thinking about being a vc i sure. didn't want to be a vc yep. i thought i'd take another operating role after and just kind of fell into it mm -hmm. and people are like well all the experience must be super helpful for you sort of being a vc i'm like not really like i was a horrible angel investor like all that money was just like burned right yeah. to, this, to yeah. the point that my wife is so pissed about like just i made a bunch of money at yahoo and i wasted it i'm not gonna say wasted it i learned oh, a lot. you learned yeah, like, yeah it was expensive yeah, I, I education lot, right? yes yeah yes. so but it, it wasn't like that the deals that i did as an angel i did eight angel deals all all right off um you know my first uh, i would say my first sort of 50 to maybe 80 deals i did as a vc I don't think I knew what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, some of them still panned out. So sometimes it's just a numbers game too. A few, quite a few of them actually panned out to, to do quite well, but most of them are just like complete write-offs, mm -hmm. but that's a game, mm -hmm. but that did fine tune a lot of my thinking. So it's interesting that people like operate as VC, like, yes, that's a good thing in the long run, but because you're an operator, there are a lot of issues of being an operator. You put your frame into investing in someone who's great at investing may not be great as an operator. Someone yeah. who's great as an operator may not be great at investing. It's a very rare bird who's good at both. I do, I do know a few of them, like, you know, and I, I meant, I, I haven't published this, but you know, like, for example, like guys like Kevin Harris from Eventbrite, incredible investor and incredible operator, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of in, in, you know, Mike Maples, incredible entrepreneur and operator, incredible investor, guys like that are super rare. Sure. Um, or like, you know, the, this upcoming generation, like, you know, two, they're both, these guys are friends of mine. So guy named Zach Coleus, um, he was a very successful entrepreneur and great investor, uh, Shiel Manot, great, you know, Shiel Manot and Jake Gibson, both very strong operators and, 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 and um, founders and both very strong investors That's super rare. Mm -hmm. And so what you end up, at least in my experience, what I find is that you either great investor, not so good operator, or you're a great operator, not so good investor. It's, it's very rarely do the twain sort of like meet. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people, when you're super young, I don't know if you know which one, which pathway you, you're going to, to prefer or, you know, for, so that, that's what's, I think, been interesting. I, got, I, I had the good fortune of getting exposed to private equity early in my career. And at that point, I just, I didn't like just the, the passiveness of it. I said, I've got, I got to go build a bunch of stuff and do a bunch of things first personally to feel like I can empathize and be additive and, and valuable as a partner. If I ever get to that point where I do want to uh, be more of an investor. Yeah, and I, even there, I I'm still super active. I can't, I yeah. can't just 
wish them I, well. I think I think it's a good thing being an operator first, like just like getting some hands-on experience. Yeah. I think it's always a good thing. If you like do it for one or two years and see if you like it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, you know, like having said that, right? You know, I th- I still think like one of the best investors ever is you know, like Fred Wilson out in New York. Sure. Like he's that's all he's done. I think he's been a VC mm-hmm. for 23 years, right? So think about like the sure. data sample set in his right. and his track record. But like I don't know if there's like a ton of those people. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's necessarily good for he's definitely the outlier. I, I do think it's helpful having operating experience, especially now when you're competing for deals. I'm just like, you do need, you know, it's very, very helpful to have operating skills. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about startups. You've seen a ton that, you know, COVID kind of forced a lot of this remote virtual experience. I mean, let's talk like early, early days, right? I mean, you, you obviously touched a lot of those at 500 startups as well. What's your thought on people starting and building from day one remotely, virtually? I'm a, I'm a big fan. I think it's, it's possible. Like there are a lot of cases and I, I think there are benefits where I'm, I'm kind of mixed on this hybrid thing where it's just, I do think like you're the fully remote or you're in the office. I think it's hard to do the hybrid thing. I think it's possible. It just requires just a lot more forethought and thinking, but it's totally possible. Um, and I think it's better to like, okay, you're, you're, like, so it's always, it depends, right? So I think that you could run a fully remote sort of team mm-hmm. if you have like pretty good processes and you've known each other for a long, long time, sure. right? Where it's just like you've worked together and you know, yes. you know, I think it's tougher when you don't know each other, yes. then you better have good processes and good sort of like check-in. Um, I don't like, I, I'm not one of those, like, this is the only way to do stuff yes. where like, look, I, I think there's just so many different ways to build a startup. I think you can build a hybrid one. I do think it's, if you're doing a startup, I think you're either all together or you're fully virtual and you're, you're syncing up all the time. Mm-hmm. And preferably you've had some background and experience working together um, mm-hmm. and knowing each other fairly well before you do that. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, probably in both cases, that is helpful. What you just said. Um, not having, I mean, my, my fear always is we don't really know each other. We've kind of come together around this common idea that seemed, and we're virtual. That seems really risky. That's that's fraught for, I I think that's fraught for disaster. Yes. Agree. When you think of founder attributes though, that you really look for and that would cause you, you know, kind of to get excited. Okay. This, this is pretty interesting. Are there ones that are present in your mind all the time that kind of force you to, to pay a little bit more attention or, or lean forward a little more? Um, I think sort of like this, you know, this idea of, I've written about this like missionary versus mercenary, yes. right? Like they're doing mm-hmm. it for the right reason. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not just like, oh, here's a huge market. So I'm going to go out to this market. I'm like, yeah, but do you actually care about this? Um, and I, I do worry about people like, are you a major gamer? I'm like, I was, I'm less of a gamer now, partly because just like, it's so addictive. Like I worry, like that's all, like that's part of the reason I don't start games mm-hmm. because I do have a little bit of a obsessive compulsive mm-hmm. thing, but yes, I, you know, like I, I do think gaming is really interesting, right? Like mm-hmm. it's the next form of like media, like the form of media. But anyways, the, the point I'm trying to make where it's like, you gotta be passionate about what you do. You gotta yes. love it, right? So yes. that has to come across to me. I also think the level of relentlessness um, that really only comes from people who didn't have anything like the hunger level, mm-hmm. right? Just like, they, like, they're just, they're going to do this no matter what. They're just relentless. Um, and also some level of like, 
like the enough coachability, like I say thoughtfulness, the term I'm using mm-hmm. is thoughtfulness, not coachability, where it's like, they're going to listen to you. They don't have to listen. They're not going to like do everything you say that they should do, yes. but they're going to be thoughtful. They're going to do their homework and they're going to be like, I don't mind people pushing back on me. Right. Where just like, right. like if you push back on me, I'm like, look, I think you should do this. And they're like, I disagree. And I'm like, why? They're like, well, cause I don't want to. Or like, well, I feel like that's not right. And I'm like, okay, that's not a that's good not, answer versus, good. versus the, no, I've talked to 50 customers. Uh, this is what I've heard. Or we've tried that like six months ago and it didn't work. I'm like, all right, great. Yes. Right. Like I, I don't mind pushback when it's thoughtful, uh, right? Yes. Like you're, you're trying to get to the truth, not like who's right or who's wrong. Like, I don't care about who's right or who's wrong. Like I'm trying to figure out like what is like optimal for you and your business. Yeah, that's that's so good. One, one of the things I, I'm really high engagement when when we get uh, into early meetings with potential entrepreneurs to to partner with, and one of the things I'll tell them and I'll say, look, I I don't know at the end of this conversation if you're going to be exhausted or exhilarated, but this is going to be full conflict, full engagement, and hopefully you're going to be excited by that because you feel like this is going to make you better. I don't, as you said, I don't ever need to be right, but I want to dig in to see that you have an honest process for how you're going to go learn because we both know your pitch deck at this point, you don't have it all figured out and yeah, let's and, not and, pretend. Yeah. For early stage, it's like, I don't expect you have it all figured out. Like I we have like right. the, the important things, at least some thoughts about, or some yes. hypothesis and, yes. and have some, some view on how you're going to figure that that's out. That's right. Like, that's super important. That's right. Um, and also just like the other part I care about is like how well they know their customers or just like mm-hmm. how they really done their home. Like do they either know them super, super well, or they've actually done their homework. And, and yeah, so like, like, like this is art, it's not science, but it's something I've kind of picked up like, you know, really learn the hard way over like many, many investments. And, and, you know, the other thing, like, like for me, like that, that's a showstopper is like arrogance and know-it-alls, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like in this stage, like if you think, you know, everything or the thing, you must hear this all the time. Like, I, I hate this where it's like, I don't need to do customer development. Like, you know, like Steve jobs didn't like, you know, get customer <laughs> feedback and stuff. And I'm like, okay, like that's the dumbest thing. Cause that's number yes. one, it's not true. And even if that was true, like you're not Steve Jobs, right? Like that's I right. hear that all the time. And yeah. that to me, it's like, okay, you're out, like yeah. done, right? Like exactly. you, in the minute you start like talking about Steve Jobs, like you're, right. like, it's over. Yes. That conversation's over. That's right. Yeah. And, and I think that's, this is the kind of the things that I think are really helpful for people to, to hear. The other, I think, you mean this. No, I mean, most know, investors yeah. aren't honest. Most investors are not sure. honest to, to founders of why they pass. Um, they always want to keep the door open. It's the most like cowardly thing. Yeah. I get it. I understand. And, yeah. um, but I, on the other hand, it's sort of like the reason they do that because also a lot of founders are just like super soft and they don't want to hear like, you're calling my baby ugly. And, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I'll, I'll be say like, I don't think I'm super popular in the startup ecosystem because like, I'm super direct. And a lot of people, particularly in California, do not like that. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, to that point, you're, Fuck you're, I don't care anyways, right? Like, whatever. Like, it's yeah. just like, like I do this to be of service to you, right? Not because, yes. like, uh, but whatever. Like, you know, I've, I've, I've lived with it. But I, yeah, there's a lot of people who don't like me in this sort of ecosystem, which I'm okay with. It's like, I'm... yeah, I mean, you can't, you obviously can't please everybody, right? I mean, you can, and, but p- people need to hear this is super hard. I tell, I say this all the time building a company is really, really hard. hard. I respect it a lot. It's super, super hard. It's the super hardest hard. Ever. 
And so you should know what you're getting yourself into. And especially now, right? We've seen, as you were, you were saying earlier, this frenzy of activity. Uh, we, we don't want entrepreneur tourists, right? We want people that are going to really feel that mission call to go solve big problems. We've got a lot of big problems in the world that need to be attacked and solved. Yeah. And, and I would say one of the things, though, is just like I, I what I worry about is just like, because it's missionary versus virtual, like I want them to tackle problems that like matter to them, yes. right? Like, you know, obviously matter to the world. That's important, right? That's, That's right. a market question. Yes. But also has to matter to you, right? That's Where it's right. like, don't look on something that you don't care about. That's right. Like, that's just a waste of your life and, and waste of time of, of your personal time, but waste of everybody's time. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the likelihood you're going to like be super successful? Just like the odds are just a lot lower. And, and even just like the other thing I tell founders, like, okay, make sure you find, figure out you're focusing on a mission that actually really matters to yourself. But the second thing is just like VC is not the default. Don't naturally assume That's that right. you're just going to go raise VC money where like bootstrapping is like highly, highly That's right. under, you know, like just underrated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, VC, I've said for a long time, VC has perpetuated this incredible PR yeah, I hate it. I think it's that drives me crazy. Yeah, I, I, I think it's awful. And you're talking to an ex-VC too, right? I was a little bit, I'll be the first, a little bit disillusioned. Like when I see like, there are some investors who are like amazing and that's like 10%. Like we're just like, they legit add value. But most, it's just a freaking check. Yeah. All right. So you're sitting in Eastern Europe right now. You've, you, you know, you said off, as we were starting, you know, you're headed to Asia next. I mean, you, you have an incredible international perspective across your experience, as well as all the places that you're plugged into. What's your view on global entrepreneurship in the next decade? Oh, super bullish. Super bullish. I, I think the reality is that if you take a look at, you know, 15 years ago, you look at, I hate, I hate the term unicorns, by the way, but I'm going to use yes. it, right? You look at the number of unicorns, it's like pretty much like most of the US, like 70% US, maybe like 25% from China, mm -hmm. and then sort of 5% is like rest of the world. That's not the case anymore. Now US is probably sub 40, sub 45 percent mm -hmm. and it's the rest of the world it's not just from china like india like you know, there's just tons of them coming out of everywhere like you know i i learned this great term it's like digital decolonization mm. right and it's like what a great term where it's like this guy i i it's not my 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 term right it's guy named james halpert he's a fund manager um public public investment fund manager and it's his term where it's like you know, if you look at the acceleration of those like new major players coming out of like almost every single major like market, whether it's Africa or Middle East or like there's going to be more and more of these and you're going to see the market share, which is happening already too at a macro level of just economic market share. Western Europe and the US is sort of shrinking, right? Like mm -hmm. versus sort of like not shrinking since they're still growing, but not growing as fast versus the rest of the world is growing faster. So you're going to see more local champions. And I think that's a good thing. So this yes. digital decolonization, where I do think you're going to see a fracturing of globalization in some ways, where it's going to be less globalized, you're going to have more regional sort of like compacts and things. And, and for better, or for worse, we're going to, we're probably going to be sort of more in the US you know, world, the China sort of world, and then kind of like the neutrals in between. Yep. You're going to see a lot of that. So you see a fracturing globalization, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to have big global businesses. So what role do you then see? I mean, you just kind of alluded to it a little bit. You know, I, I'm here in Southern California. 
plan to continue to, to be here, I believe, at this moment, at least while we're chatting. What role do you see Southern California, California, America playing? Can we go continue to export our knowledge and capability and, and bring more people and be more abundant about it? Do you think we start to retrench and think a little more scarcely? Like, I, I'm curious how you think about the role that, that we play. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, California is amazing, right? You look at the defense industry, you know, between like, you know, Hollywood, um, you know, the technology industry in, you know, the SF Bay area. Mm -hmm. But the problem with California of just like the, the horrible governance mm -hmm. at the municipal level. And I, I can say, I, I, I don't know enough about LA. San Francisco is a complete disaster zone, mm -hmm. right? But even at, at the state level, like California is a complete disaster on mm -hmm. like we're squat, like it is, it is becoming very anti-business, mm -hmm. right? If you like, and I, yes. I'm saying this as someone who came from Canada, right? So mm -hmm. I was like fairly socialist and left-wing and I'm fairly left-wing too. But just when I see just like, like literally San Francisco had the chance to be like, I don't know if you know like Star Trek, right? Like headquarters of like uh, mm -hmm. of the Federation is start uh, is like San Francisco. Um, with the way the SF government acts right now, there's just no no way in in hell that is ever going to happen. It is viscerally looking at tech as like this golden goose that they're just squeezing mm -hmm. as much as possible. And with that attitude, and especially with sort of like this this sort of you know since last year, uh, just like tons of people moved away, right? Yep. And everything's being done virtually right now. Um, this open hostility to tech is, you know, and tech sort of gets it too, right? The arrogance and the obliviousness, sure. the douchebaggery in tech. Like to some level, we definitely, you know, definitely deserve some of it. But just, you know, there's so much blame to throw around. Like we are messing it up. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's so much opportunity, so many smart people, the weather, great, like the, the, the diversity, but boy, we are messing it up. And so unfortunately, this diaspora of this, you know, of this intelligence and this talent is going everywhere. Like, I can't mm -hmm. tell you how many Canadian friends of mine, like very talented Canadian friends of mine have moved back to the, who've moved back to Canada. That yeah, is which a, is great for I, Canada. That is great for Canada and Canada's tech scene is booming, mm -hmm. whether it's in Montreal or Toronto or Vancouver, but that's at the cost of the US mm -hmm. and that's at the cost of California. Yeah, I think that's a real factor. I don't, I don't, I, I agree with you and something that we have to keep talking about to, to really pay attention to, uh, but it could be great for the world. It could create this an would be abundance. Better for the world. Yes, yeah. it could create an abundance that was being constrained by some of the geographic founders. Yeah, and I, I think this is a good thing in the long run. Mm -hmm. All so, these things, right? Yeah, yes, all these things. That's right, that's right. So we're coming up on time. Uh, one of the things I, I love to sort of let a, a great guest like you share is you know that final advice. So if you think about these new entrepreneurs, you know, I think we have a little bit of a renaissance. I, I wanna believe that COVID has brought some enlightenment to a group of people who say there, there are a lot of new problems in the world. I need to go help be a part of it. Feel the call to mission to go, to go do what they can do much more uh, high impact. So what are the two pieces of advice you know, that you haven't shared that you would give to a new entrepreneur? 
I mean, number one, just like make sure you're working on something you actually legitimately care about and who cares if it's VC fundable or not, yes. or multi-billion dollar market, just work on something you care about that you're going to learn a lot. Right. And, and that, that's, that at the end of the day will put you in good seat and you never know. Um, and then the second thing is just sort of like the customer development piece of just like, you need to be spending just as general advice. I don't like to give general advice, but general advice is like, number one, like you should be spending a disproportionate amount of time with your potential users and customers in the beginning. Mm -hmm. The more you you spend time with them, the more you learn and question. Um, and that insight is gonna help you build your business. So good, Marvin. Thank you so much for joining all the way from the other side of the world. Great wisdom, great perspective. I appreciate you for you know all you do and, and for all you share. I, I think that the hard fork is just such a great beacon of light out there and you have such an abundance about you. I'm a, as I said, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Operate Podcast. If you like this conversation, as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us, or subscribe, or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Operate Podcast. Until next week, get out there and operate.